Welcome, everybody, to this week's episode of the Directed IRA podcast with more color, color commentary with the genius Matt Sorensen. Yeah, baby. Thank you for that. Yeah, you bet. You bet. Okay. Now, everybody, this is the Open Forum Show. This is where we take questions from people around the country that are self-directing their retirement accounts, HSAs, IRAs, 401ks, Ross, everything under the sun. And we're going to answer their questions. And you're going to be fascinated by this because you're going to see questions of people you from people you didn't even think of and go... Oh, and by the way, that's a question I had. And this yeah. is one of our most popular podcasts. Yeah, a lot of people's questions end up showing you a good idea of maybe I should be doing that with my retirement account. <laughs> yeah. And also some of these questions be like, well, I'm definitely not doing that. <laughs> Mark them out. We're like, don't do that. And so, um, but self-directing is where you can be creative with your retirement account, right? Invest in the things you know. You're not just buying a boring stock or mutual fund. You might be buying some real estate, some crypto, a small business. So sometimes you need to learn yeah. the rules and there's questions that come up and that's what this show is all about. Okay. And here's our parental warning and disclaimer. We may even talk about uh, purchasing cattle, mm-hmm. which I did in my retirement account, mm-hmm. and uh, which involves steers and cows procreating and... Well, the, a steer can't procreate. I no, that's I true. I, yeah, we need to clarify that. So Mark it, taught me the difference between a bull, a steer, a heifer. A, so yeah. I remember. I listened. You did. You did. Yeah. So we've got cows having sex and cows getting castrated. So that could happen. Because yeah. I want my retirement account to grow. And uh, the birds and the bees and the circle of life may come into conversation here. So, yeah. so if for, I, be, be forewarned. Yeah. For, for anyone still listening, well, let's get into the questions today. <laughs> if there's anyone there. <laughs> so, all right. All right. And you can always go to directiracom slash podcast to ask a question. You can submit it there on any of our social stuff. You can throw in questions. But definitely if you get it there, we'll get them on to it. So let me start out with Brent from Pennsylvania. He's got a Roth IRA, and he wants to invest in a multifamily syndication. He says, I'm somewhat a recent subscriber to your podcast and can't get enough of it. Thank you, Brent. says, you have the perfect combination of education, entertainment, content. Love it. You know, some people do comment and be like, can you guys quit it with the cheesy jokes? And, you know, I, at least Brent appreciates that balance. He's, he said he does want them, or he wants to, us to quit them? No, he likes it. I was saying there's some people that, oh, that okay. well, you know, drop All a right. comment like, enough with the cheesy jokes. I'm okay. Like, well, I'm glad he said... Mark, I love your cheesy jokes. I he did. That. That's okay. pretty much what he's That's saying. Good. Here. Okay. All right. Here's his question. He says, "I'm investing in a multifamily syndication, which is basically an LLC or limited partnership with a bunch of investors throwing money in to buy an apartment building. That's what multifamily is. But he wants to do it with his self-directed Roth IRA. He's unclear about the tax consequences of UBIT UDFI. He says the syndication is using debt structure to purchase a value-add property and intends to refinance or sell it in three to five years." Will there be a tax consequences on distribution or gains since the operator is using debt to finance the purchase of the property? Okay, great question, Brent. The short answer is yes, but it won't be that painful and it typically isn't. So let me explain how that works. When you have a retirement account like an IRA buying debt leveraged real estate, you have to pay a tax called UDFI. Basically, the IRS looks at it and says, how much cash is invested? How much debt is invested? If it's half cash and half debt, they want to tax half of the profits because half of the deal is debt, not retirement plan money. That's the basic gist of it. Now, when it's into syndication with a bunch of other people, what they're going to look at for your IRA is your little sliver. So let's say you make $10,000, but half of that deal was debt. The other half was cash from you and all the other investors. Well, half of your profits, 5000 as an example, could get subjected to this UDFI. Now, the nice thing about UDFI is you get to still take depreciation and all the property expenses. So year to year, 
typically we don't see clients having to pay UDFI on syndications and apartment deals. We see lots of K-1s. Sometimes if the property's really cash flowing and they're not depreciating or accelerating anything, then then we could see a gain and you could pay UDFI on that. But we really see it as at the sell of the property later down the road. Let's say, Brent, three to five years down the road, sell the property. And um, now you have a gain. You're going to typically see UDFI there. But remember, it's only on the piece of the deal that's debt. And at this time of sale, you actually get capital gains rate for this. So you get 20%. So when you really run the math and the numbers on it, if this is a good deal and a good investment, where you really are going to see this is at the time of sale, 20% of the profit you get, but only on the debt piece, not on the cash piece. So um, I hope that helps. It's going to be better than you doing it in your personal name and paying cash where you pay you pay 20% gain on the whole thing. So um, so still, if the returns are there, could be a good deal, Brent. Okay. Um, excellent comment. Thank you. Fine, sir. Thank you. All right. I will not add to it or take away. Thank you. Uh, I'm going to go to Graham Parsons in Florida. And I've been thinking about this. If those watching on YouTube are like, boy, smoke is coming out of Mark's ears. Um, it's because Graham's question is very tricky. So uh, let me pose the question here and then uh, we'll dive into it. So first he says, longtime listener um, and, and with an exclamation point. Yeah, you know, point out. So and and so long time I, listener. Yeah, yay. Okay, so I love that. Thanks, Graham. My S Corp, which I own hundred percent of, and my spouse is not an owner, has a solo four hundred one k. And he says we both receive a W two for our wages. Now, okay, now that's going to come out to play here. She's not an owner. His wife's not an owner, but she is getting a W two. That'll come. That's going to be a factor to consider later. Not a bad thing. Would love that. But then he says, my wife's going to go out and buy a business. Now, he likes to put boring business. <laughs> I don't know what laundromat or car wash I, I, makes cash. That's an exciting business for me. So <laughs> yeah. I love it. But he says the, he's trying to downplay this issue because I see where he's going here. He says his wife is going to go out and buy a business that's going to have employees. Will she still be able to participate in our solo 401k in the company mm-hmm. I own? Now, this is complicated, and I want to give, here's a big disclaimer, and we may mention this on some other comments today. Some of you are asking questions that are really need a consultation because we have to unpack it. There's going to be additional questions of you, and the facts and circumstances play out. So it's really hard to answer some of these questions in a vacuum, and then you go, oh, I'm going to go do that. <laughs> some other facts and circumstances we need to know about. And so this is one of them. So I'm going to try to do my best to answer this. But Graham, do not take action, please, on my answer without getting a full consultation. Because there's going to, mm-hmm. there's going to be a lot of factors mm-hmm. here. So I'm going to try to make some assumptions. All right. So here's the rule that sucks. And then I'm going to give you some, maybe some caveats or some exceptions and ways you can play with this. Basically, the IRS looks at a husband and wife as the same person when it comes to the the 401k strategy. They're like, you both are married, whether one owns the business or not, and one works in the business or not. We got to be careful here. We've got this. They they really don't want you to treat these employees of the laundromat that your wife just bought as redheaded stepchilds. If your wife owns that business and she has employees, she can't complain your 401k. And 
get away with that. You, you two are a, a, a unit. And so if either of you have another business with other full-time employees, they need to be included in all in the same game. We got it. We got it. Everybody's got to gets to play in the 401k game. And so an example of this would be a doctor. This is classic. A doctor says, well, I have this office and I've got employees, but I don't want to do a 401k. It's expensive. I'm going to go over here in my real estate side business where I may have two or three Airbnbs and I'm going to create a payroll over there and we're going to sock away a ton of money in a 401k spouse and I are single, whatever. Well, the IRS and ERISA and the federal government says, no, 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 no. If you're going to set up a 401k over in the side business, you got to include your PAs and nurses in your main business. Ugh. I want to, I want to be able to yeah. <laughs> discriminate. I don't want to have to include all my employees and all my businesses. Okay, so that's the general rule. Yep. Then it gets crazy. Yeah. I mean, there's so the your specific question and what Mark said is your wife is not going to be able to do participate in the solo K anymore. She's going to have employees. And 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 there is a rule specific for spouses in the 401k rules. But what it's going to do is, Graham, it's basically going to let you continue to do yes. your S Corp with no employees and keep doing a solo K for you, but your wife, now that she has a business over here with employees and it's separate, she's not gonna be able to play in the solo K anymore. Now that's the general rule. Thank you, Matt, for clarifying. Now here's where it gets tricky. She's still taking a W-2 from your your S-Corp? Okay, that's gonna be a problem because if she's taking a W-2 from your business, but then she owns a business over here, the IRS is gonna go, "Uh uh-uh, and too much funny business. Well, she's not participating in the solo 401k, doesn't matter. So if she's gonna go out and buy this business with employees, she's gonna have to drop off your payroll as well, which isn't the end of the world. The main reason you would put your spouse on payroll is for the 401k, i.e. go to my YouTube video of when to pay a spouse. So since she can't be a part of the solo 401k, you're going to drop her from payroll. You're going to also have to be careful with her getting any ownership or being on the board. We need to make sure that she, her business with her employees is separate from your business with your, with you, if you want to keep doing a solo 401k. Okay. Number two point. Well, your wife may say, well, I have employees. I'm going to dive deep in that. Really? Are they full-time employees? Have they been around at least a year? Do you have a lot of turnover in this laundromat business? Because if you're not keeping employees for more than a year, they don't. You, they don't. You don't even have to include them in a four hundred one k. They have to be on the payroll as full time for at least a year before this rule even applies to her. So she may be able to stay in the solo four hundred one k for a while. And you may say, well, this whole laundromat business is part time employees only. Okay. Or some contractors that come in and, yeah. man, and they kind of hit the, all the other laundromats and do some services yeah. and clean it or whatever they do. I don't know. Yeah. So there's some ex- – see the change out of – I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Whatever they do. You know, I haven't had that job before. But anyway. I mean, I've been to a laundromat. Heaven forbid you could find someone in there to help you with anything. I didn't know there was anyone there that worked there. <laughs> you really have employees at the laundromat. I mean, I just asked the guy that looks like he's been there a lot. You know, like, hey. Yeah. How do you do this? The guy's over there. Just Where's smoke. the dryer sheets? Oh, the vending machine over there and they're $5? Dang it, I'm such a rookie at this. Damn. Bring your own dryer sheets. Yeah, bring your own dryer. That's the moral of the story. So so the point is, we want to really dive into what your wife's goal with this other business is. Are they part-time or full-time employees? How many employees? What do you want to accomplish with? And anyway, and I'm not saying a group 401k is a bad thing either. Uh, there's safe harbor plans that are really quite affordable and create a great employee retention 
and allow you to still have a 401k. So don't think it's solo 401k or nothing. But um, anyway, so all of you, hopefully the big takeaway here is that Graham uh, has options. There may be some restrictions that don't allow her to be in the solo 401k, but he may still be able to do his. And this is where a consult really plays in. So solo 401ks, new business, employees, not employees, um, good planning area. Lots mm-hmm. of strategies. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. Okay. I'm going to go to James in Maine. Um, and I love this question. I'm going to unpack it, but let me read it out here. What he's trying to do this is about series. I savings bonds from the federal government and a self-directed IRA. He says, hello, you two. We are longtime supporters and clients have opened several successful self-directed IRAs with your guidance. We're wondering if it's possible to use our IRA LLC self-directed IRA to purchase us series. I savings bonds. These are generally not purchasable through normal IRA structures. They require a specific amount to be set up on the Treasury's website. It appears practical practical and simple to do this, however, using the LLC entity. Do you have any experience with these in the self-directed IRA setting? All right. Now, I want to take a step back on James's question and explain what the hell he's talking about, these Series I savings bonds. All right. Series I savings bonds is basically the federal government right now is guaranteeing to pay you 9.6% interest right now. This is a guarantee wow, for the rest federal of my interest. life. I love it. No, oh, not for the rest of your life. Okay, it could change. Yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> so it's 9.6% interest. You can only buy 10,000, though. So this is the big caveat. Okay. So I can get 960 bucks in interest. All right. Now maybe your spouse can. You get 960 bucks in interest. Okay. I mean, you might be like, okay, that's great. I love it. Let's do it. So these bonds right now are probably going to go up in November. They reset again in November where we're going to have an interest rate change because inflation, because I don't know if you've heard, it continues to go up. So a lot of people have been excited about these I bonds. Now, if you've got 10,000 to invest, I get it. That could be a great little place to throw 10,000. But, but from a self-directed strategy where you can only do 10,000 per person and make 960 bucks, I probably do it outside of my self-directed IRA. Um, with with ten thousand and leave my IRA to do a little bit bigger deal, um, but yes, you can do it. I actually this I know about this and I've looked into it for clients um, months ago that were starting to do this. So um, and they have used the LLC entity. We've looked at doing. I even looked at doing it in the trust company's name for clients, but I don't know how much demand there's going to be long term for it because when inflation rates do come down, oh, which the you're Fed still is excited my thunder. to do, you're still in my thunder. Oh, okay, <laughs> when they come down, then those. You're not going to, nobody's going to want to buy those. Like nobody's wanted to buy them the last 20 years. <laughs> yeah. So let me explain. Yeah. So this is, everybody's calling. It's like, haven't you heard, Mark, these savings bonds, nine point whatever interest. I'm like, read the fine print people. These rates that are so incredible. See a lot of, let's back up. A lot of people, and I grew up this way too, thinking, oh, you buy a bond, you're locked in to a rate of return for the, the life of that bond. So if I can buy a bond at 5% or 6%, yeah, there's some great benefits, but I'm locked in. These are not that case. Every three months, the payout rate is adjusted and it's adjusted based on the overall federal interest rates and all these factors. When you read the fine print on this, this nine point whatever interest rate could go down to 1% and it has before. And these bonds, you don't just buy for three months. You're locked into these bonds, and then it's a roller coaster with these rates. That's my understanding. They're not everything they're cracked up to be. They look great right now, but these are adjustable payout rates. Would I mean, you agree? 
Well, no, I mean, they don't adjust yet, but so like for now it's cool. I'm just saying like in November, it's going to change $10,000. Right. You're going to make 960 bucks. So like, if that's what you're working with, cool. But like next year when, when inflation adjusts and they keep it in check, these bonds rates are going to go down. You're not going to want your money sitting in there. Yeah. And you got to look at how long is the commitment? How hard is it to get that money out? And so it's a short term strategy that yeah. you can't make big bang. You can make little bang. Yeah. So, and and I'd like Matt's main takeaway here without me trying to give too much financial advice of don't be, is that you want to look at your overall rate of return. What, what's the best use of this money? It, some of you may say the best use for me is gold. The best use for me is series bonds. The best use for me is real estate. The best, use, who knows? Every, you do what you do, you get at, you know, yeah. just, but, but just, let me say this another way. When we're talking about series bonds and being able to invest $10,000 and make 9.6% interest, we're talking about making hundreds of dollars, not thousands. So if you get excited about making hundreds of dollars, cool, go for it. And keep in mind, that's not guaranteed for quarter after quarter. It's going to be adjustable. And it sounds really good right now, but you got to be careful what you're locking into and what's your overall plan of using this money wisely. Okay. I like Tammy Ball's question in Idaho. I, um, I don't know yeah. if this is related to the Ball family of Melaleuca, the Balls. I don't know. I'm, okay, I'm just saying. I, you know, just Melaleuca is a big deal in Idaho, and okay. the Ball family uh, is behind that. So, okay, Tammy fun is fun fact. Okay. Fun fact. She's a big ad- advocate and of the song you sing that we're out here talking about stuff. She's a CPA and a CFP, and send clients all our way uh, all the time. So, thank you so much, Tammy. She says I was listening to the Q and A on. August 16th of 2022, so just recently. And one question about a guy owning an interest in a fitness club came up. Maybe it was the club itself or the building, not sure. It was the building in that example. He owned the building, leased it to someone else who owned the club, and then he wanted to know if he could work out at the gym, and I said yes. Yes. Now this does, okay, so let's clarify this, because her question (laughs) is like, hold it, I thought it was prohibited to use the business that your IRA may own in that's mm-hmm. true. And we're going to cl- provide some clarity here. Matt just kind of quickly ran through that. So some of you are like, well, what's going on? Well, reiterate. <laughs> she said, but here's what's going on for her. I wonder why you would say that or what was different because I own a vacation rental and paying full price to use a vacation rental owned by your IRA. I heard you say that's a no-no and buying a condo where my daughter lives and she would rent it. That's a no-no, blah, blah, blah. What's What's the difference? And What's the concern or problem? Can you see basically she's saying, clear this up guys. All right. Here's a little distinction. I like what Matt said, everybody. So think of a health club. You've got a company that's running the health club and your IRA owns the building. Uh, Your customer is the tenant, which is the company that runs the club. That's your customer. That's fine. You're, you can go be a customer of them and be a member of the club because you're paying that co- that company mm-hmm. that runs the club and you're a step away from the whole relationship. Your IRA owns the building. It rents to a gym. The gym, you're yeah. a member of the gym. You go, it's separate. That's fine. That is not prohibited. Now, if your IRA was to own the gym itself, the gym company, and the building or the building doesn't matter. Let's keep the building out of it. If your IRA owns the business itself, and then you want to go be a patron, we got issues. And 
Now, I want to pose this to you. Okay. Obviously, if you're going to have an Airbnb that your IRA owns, you don't want to go use that Airbnb. That's It's pretty in your face. The IRS right. is like, no. Um, for example, your construction company can't work for your IRA and all these sorts of things. We've talked about these prohibited transactions before. But I want to bring up the word de minimis. <laughs> okay. We're talking about 2,000 members of a gym, $50 a month. My IRA owns the gym. Really, you know, a small membership fee, is that going to be, I think, would that be looked, is is it, compared to an Airbnb where you're spending thousands of dollars of only so many weeks out of the year, I think it's de minimis. Was so that you a, were saying, you're giving the factual scenario now, of let's say your IRA owns the gym. Yeah. And it and gives you a membership personally and your IRA owns it. Yes. And you're paying the same rate as everyone else. And it's 50 bucks a month. Yeah. I'm L- trying let to- me say this, that might be possible. And it is de minimis, but I would ask this in the big <laughs> scheme of things: Is the juice worth the squeeze? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Many times you need to ask yourself that: Is the use of your own gym that your IRA owns worth the risk of mm. some IRS agent being all technical and saying you're benefiting, you're using that gym your IRA bought, and they're like, "Oh my gosh, I pay what everyone else pays." You really, is it that important? Like, why did you buy the gym? Because it's a good investment from your IRA. Not so you could go work out at it. Yeah. All right. So, so yes, you're probably right. It is de minimis, but I'm like, even so, is the juice worth the squeeze? Got it. I love it. I thought you were going to say, let's ask the real question. (laughs) Is this a lifetime fitness platinum level? (laughs) Yeah. What type of, what type of membership we talking about? Because if it's just a crappy gym, is this like a lifetime, like here in uh, Scottsdale that has like the bar and the pool at the top floor. I'm like, what type of a health club is this? (laughs) No, I don't even go to the serving drinks and alcohol, like uh, pina coladas and whatever. Okay. All right. All right. Maybe a smoothie bar. I would be okay with, but like a full stocked bar. Come on. Cheese fries flying out, nachos, whatever you want. All right, let me cl- let me hit one point on Tammy's though that I think is important is I think one of the things that she had a question about is that was a solo K and IRA. It's the same rules and stuff. The reason I said that was fine with the gym was his retirement account owned the building. The building leased to a third party, unrelated business that was the tenant. So when we're looking at a primitive transaction, what I'm looking for is where is the IRA transacting? Here, the IRA is only transacted with this club that is the tenant. It's leased the building to the club. Now, the owner of the IRA or 401k is a disqualified person, and we know IRAs can't transact with disqualified person, owner of the IRA being called a disqualified person. But here, the owner of the IRA is transacting with the club that's the tenant. They're not transacting with the IRA. That's why I was okay with it, as long as there's no special deal or benefit that the owner got. Here in your short-term rental example, we have the retirement account. If you were able to stay or use the property, the short-term rental yourself or your daughter who are both disqualified, even if you paid, you are transacting directly with your retirement account. So through through the IRA LLC, which is one and the same. So that's why it's a little different. It might seem a little nuanced, but that third party in the middle there that's the tenant really does make an important distinction, I think. Oh my gosh. We've got so many good questions here. I'm going to jump over to Matt's YouTube channel and I'm going to go on something controversial. Can I? Okay. Which is right up my alley. Matt hates this. (laughs) Okay. I'm going to go to Chris McCormick. Okay. Okay. Now, you know, this is an angst of mine, uh, kind of, and it's, it's controversial. IUL. 
Okay. Okay. All right. So, all right. Right. You know where I'm going. Okay. okay. Now I've got a, actually a good response. Okay. We we. Okay. So Chris McCormick's question was, "What makes a Roth better than an IUL policy?" Now, if some you don't, and I don't know, an IUF. UL policy stands for indexed universal life. Now there is a very insurance company's trillion dollar business in the United States on cash value life insurance, where you're building a whole life policy worth money that can be borrowed against. It's guaranteed insurance. It's not term. There's books written on this classes, workshops, entire industries, agents, yada, yada. There's a, group out there that would say IULs are far better than a Roth IRA. And we know people personally in the seminar industry that literally have people drain their retirement accounts to buy life insurance, sell all the real estate to buy life insurance, which I think is extreme. And we have other people out there that say, stay away from life insurance altogether. It's evil, terrible. It's not worth it. Now as in life, usually the answer is somewhere in the middle. The balance, the balance of these two. And um, I have been sometimes critical of life insurance to the in a certain way, which I'm going to clarify here, where people think I'm anti-life insurance. I'm not. But there's a place for it. So here's my answer that I think, Chris, you might find refreshing. And I've got four reasons here. I'm going to get to the point. Because this is a rabbit hole. We could do a whole show on Roth versus life insurance. We ought to do that. That could be a really good show. Okay, so here's my four quick points. Why I like a Roth and versus an IUL, and I'm gonna and I'm, and I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna lead with number four. No, maybe one's not better. Do both in the right situation. I've got clients doing both a Roth and life insurance. We, we don't need to talk about which one's better. It's about what's better for you, and both could be a great fit. Okay, so let's yeah. let's lead with that. So don't yeah. don't freak out over it. Did you? It sounds like it looks like you want to make a comment. What's better, a truck or a car? You might need both. I don't know. What are you doing? Yeah, who's going to be in it? What are you putting in it? What's your situation? Yeah. I, it depends. And also, which car and which truck? Yeah, you know, like oh, which brings me to point number one. <laughs> I'm going to jump back to number one. And and you know, on that note too, Matt, is it? I think um, be careful of anybody that says all car or all truck. Yeah. And that's what's happening here. I know that Chris has got someone in his ear that says Roths are terrible, do IUL. And someone could be in your ear saying, do Roth and avoid life insurance. Be careful of the extremes. Yeah. Okay. You Can I do a follow yeah, up on yeah, that one? Yeah. Okay. Before I hit this, yeah. the one thing I'll say on the Roth of why I like it more, and this says, let's this see if this is one of my four. The IUL is I can invest my Roth in something grow it. I could 10 exit. I could hundred. I could be Peter Till with a billion dollar Roth IRA coming out tax-free. You will never have that in an IUL. Okay. Sure. You can use that, throw money in it, get it back out. There's some tax perks to it, but you will never have a huge return. The clients that I've had over the years that have the 10 million accounts, the hundred million accounts, like they've made huge investments that have got totally tax-free returns built up in them. Mm-hmm. So it. you'll never hit a home run in an IUL. Right. And that, now I call that number two. Because you can't invest the uh, IUL, right? I agree. It's, I agree. You basically give it to the insurance company and let them go invest it. And that's kind of how you get paid out, right? Exactly. So I, I put that as number two okay. in my list of four reasons why a Roth could be better than IUL. Did you say that already? And I wasn't paying attention. No, no, okay. I didn't. I didn't. That's number two. I'm jumping around on my list of four things I wrote down here. So I like Matt. So the what I said is 
you have flexibility with a Roth. You get to choose what the investments are. You don't get to choose what the investments are in the life insurance. Now, on the flip side, some people are like, I'm not a Peter Thiel. I don't have great investments out there. In fact, I don't trust myself to go out and make good investments. I like the security of an IUL that's tax-free withdrawals and tax-free growth, and it's guaranteed this. and guaranteed. That's right. See, there's different pros and cons. A truck has a truck bed. A car has a crappy little trunk. You know, So you've got to look mm-hmm. at the pros and cons mm-hmm. of these two things. It doesn't mean one's better. They're just different. Okay, of the four, number one, I chose had on my list as well. I, mean, I got to change up the whole damn list here. Okay, <laughs> here's another reason why I, a Roth could be better than an IUL. Roths are straightforward. They're clear. It's an account. You open an account, you put money in it, you go invest it. Life insurance, buckle up. They There are probably the flavors of ice creams are the flavors of life insurance. Now, uh, Katie Kenwick, one of our uh, tax attorneys in our office, has is our financial advisor as well. She's been there for years. She has this incredible experience. She just schools us other tax lawyers in the office on these issues. And she's like, it is so, as she has said many times before, it is so easy to buy the wrong life insurance policy. Yeah. Not IU, all IULs are created equally. And so you maybe think, oh, this is going to be a great IUL. And then you freaking get hometowned by your agent mm-hmm. or the company and you buy the wrong IUL and now you're screwed. So <laughs> you got to be really careful when you go buy life insurance where Roths, I think are simpler. Yeah, that's, I like it. Okay. Now the, the fourth point of these four, um, why not do both? Look at what's best for you. Number two, you control investments. Number three, Roths are clear. Got to be careful with IUS. Not that again, they're bad. You got to know what you're doing. Number four, and this is why I've been a, really um, a proponent of being careful when it comes to life insurance is when you sign up for that life insurance policy, that's a lifetime commitment. I'd like to to point out life insurance, the policy itself is a lifetime commitment with this cash value. With a Roth, if you say, oh, I don't have enough money to put in it this year, fine. You're okay. You don't lose the Roth. Here, if you don't pay those premiums on a regular basis, whatever commitment you make, and you're like, well, Mark, I can do a single premium or I can do a five-year premium thing. Oh, fine, whatever. But at some point, the cash value of that policy is going to pay the premium for you. And if your rates of return are not enough, and then you got this premium issue, and da, 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 I've had personally experienced myself lost an IUL. I didn't pay the premiums during a, uh, when I was going to law school. I was like, oh, I'm just going to let it ride. By the end of law school, policy gone. And so you got to know that an IUL is a long-term commitment. And if you're not keeping up on premiums and watching the cash value and how much can I borrow against, and is there a death benefit or not? And all these little variables, they are amazing. I know they can be amazing and they look amazing on paper, but if you don't follow the rules, you can lose it. You're not going to lose a Roth. Mm-hmm. There you go. There's my four. I so Four things Very to consider. Well, Very well done. I'm not even going to try to add anything on that because okay. Mark knows way more about it than I do. So, no, no, no. all right. Okay. Um, all right. Vikram from New Jersey asked about mega backdoor contribution withdrawal. He says, two years ago, I did a mega backdoor in-plan conversion to Roth 401k. Can I, can I, am I able, I think he's going to say, to withdraw this after-tax contribution immediately from a Roth IRA if I roll over the funds from Roth 401k to Roth IRA now? All right, Vikram. No, <laughs> I wish I had a better answer, <laughs> but no. Get, you got to the point. What you've done when you're doing this mega backdoor is you've done a Roth conversion. I know you're like, but it's not a 
regular Roth conversion, but it really is. That's how you're able to do it in the first place. And Roth conversions have a five-year rule before you can withdraw them without tax or penalty. So you've got to wait five years. Now we're assuming you're also 59 and a half. So um, there is going to be a five-year rule, and that's even on the, the converted amount that you've paid tax on, not just the earnings. So um, just keep in mind you got a five-year rule there before you can get that money back out. So don't be using that mega backdoor Roth strategy to get money out. We are going through all that hassle and Roth conversions and converting dollars to Roth to grow the account, to get more Roth dollars, to grow a tax-free withdrawal later. We got to let that money go and grow, come out later tax-free. So you got it five years. Okay. I got a question and I'm, I'm actually going to share <laughs> my in the question because Matt knows so much more about this and there's a there's a, a theme here in two or three, and I, I don't know the answer. I can't ever explain the answer in detail. We've got Ruth in New York and Grant in Illinois. Grant's trying to start a farm in South America, and Ruth is trying to buy an Airbnb in Dominican Republic. Now, I, these are two different questions, but they have a theme of investing outside the U.S. Can you just summarize for us, Matt? How can yeah. my IRA invest outside of the U.S.? Because you can do it, but there's yeah. a structure. How? Yeah. So you can do it. Legally, retirement accounts can own foreign assets like the Airbnb in the Dominican Republic or the farm in South America. Okay. Now, let me give you the complications on why your IRA custodian doesn't love this. Okay, I'm going to get documents in Spanish from the Dominican Republic and Portuguese from your farm in Brazil. Hmm. Like, my staff's going to be able to read that and understand what the heck's there. And what happens if there's some lawsuit or legal notices that happen that come to our office for your IRA that owns this farm in Brazil? Do I got to go hire lawyers in Brazil to understand what the heck's going on to tell you what you should be doing? We don't want that. No IRA custodian wants that. You don't pay us enough for that. Our account's two ninety five dollars a year, okay? Yeah, yeah. So what you can do is have your IRA own a U.S.-based LLC and have that U.S.-based LLC go down into Brazil or the Dominican Republic, and it can own the foreign equivalent in that country typically that then owns that asset. So, yes, you can do it. So there's the first front end. It's almost like a blocker. Yeah, it's kind of like it's just because now for us, your IRA just owns this LLC in Florida or wherever you are, you know, or it could be Wyoming, whatever. We're going to set it up in just some U.S. state. It's not going to really do business there, but on on the books and the assets here, your IRA just owns an LLC. So I don't got to worry about what's going on in Brazil. That's you with your LLC that you're the manager of. Mm. Now, the second thing that's important to keep in mind is I don't know how the heck Brazil taxes IRAs. I don't know how the Dominican Republic does it. So this Airbnb in the Dominican Republic, you go buy it with all the cash in your retirement account. The Dominican Republic might make you pay tax on the rental income, even though if you were doing it in the U.S., they didn't. So Mm. I don't know. Does the Dominican, mm-hmm. Dominican Republic care that this is a U.S. retirement account? Probably not. <laughs> so, yeah. so you might lose out on some tax benefits in these foreign countries that you could get in the U.S. You know what might, one might say? Is the squeeze worth the juice? <laughs> Just saying. Have you ever heard that before? You say it the other way. But <laughs> is the juice worth the squeeze? Oh, that too. Is the squeeze worth the juice? <laughs> I don't know what that means. I guess I didn't get, I guess I didn't get your point from before. <laughs> it's, it's, it's kind of mean to say what you're going to get worth the effort, you know? I don't know what it if, means. If this is like some orange that's already been squeezed out or it's like dry, is it worth it to really try to squeeze it for one drop of orange juice? I, I, was, thinking, I was thinking of other squeezes probably. That's the problem. Okay. <laughs> 
Oh my gosh, your examples are so complicated. Okay, no, all right. I, so Ruth, I, I think the easy answer is legally, can your, can your IRA own an Airbnb in Dominican? Yes, you got some hoops to jump through. And how is the Dominican going to tax it? Now, Grant's question of doing this farm, he calls it a farm, mm-hmm. but I have a feeling there's going to be private planes dropping off, yeah. picking up bales of something and bringing yeah. it back to it. No, just they're going to have citrus that you can squeeze juice out of. <laughs> yeah. I thought there was an airstrip in Nevada in the middle of the night that was receiving shipments, but that's a different type of farm. Okay. Yeah. All right, but here's Grant's question, and it's gonna. This is good for everybody. He said, "Forget." Well, I think it's kind of interesting. And again, like we said at the beginning of the show, it kind of opened your eyes as to all the options with your IRA. He said this. He's going to buy a plot of land down in this South American com- uh, country, and with his IRA LLC, as Matt said, we, he would structure in the U.S. And then this LLC is going to go down into South America and this company is going to plant crops and he's going to hire a local management company to harvest and sell the crops for a period of 20 years. And my IRA LLC would get all the profits. Okay. See, just fascinating, exciting. Mm -hmm. And so he says, my questions are, would this income be subject to UBIT in the U S yes. See, you've got, we don't know what they're going to charge you down there in tax to go run this farm. But if your IRA is ranching and farming, and this is why I like this question for everybody out there. Yeah. When my IRA bought into cattle in Idaho, cause I wanted to be part of the Dutton family and from the show Yellowstone, my IRA is going to pay UBIT. Ranching is subject to UBIT. Farming is subject to UBIT. It's a business. And now we've talked about leasing real estate to farmers. That's not a business. You're leasing land. So you can create some barriers here to get around you. But whether you're doing this in South America or the United States, if your IRA is ranching or farming, it's going to be subject to UBIT. Um, he brings up when to file tax returns. That may be a, another question later in the show. But yeah. I think UBIT is One thing for um, farmers, you know, and anybody on farmersonly.com, you know, any of mm. you out there in kind of that farming world, there is a way to avoid UBIT that I've done with some clients. So what you have to do, though, is you own the land and you do a lease of the land to someone else who farms it. And I think there's a term for it. I forget what it's called. But essentially, you can set your lease based on the, the crop production. And there is still an exemption where that could be considered rental income, where you could be out of UBIT. But you're not owning the company. You're not managing the farmer's. You're basically, I own farming land that I'm leasing, and the lease could be tied to crop production, and it can still be considered rental income exempt from UBIT. I love it. Another strategy, and this is what I was going to do with my cattle. I ended up selling out at the end of the year. Mm-hmm. I had my five cows had five bulls that wow, were- Five bulls? Five for five? Yes. My rancher even said, that's very uncommon. Usually you get kind of a three, two, three, yeah. three heifers, two bulls, whatever, you know, th- oh. but I got five male Are bulls worth more calves. or less? I got five calves. See, like a, a calf calves. turns oh. into a bull got it. Got when it. a certain okay. process in the male anatomy occurs. So I okay. guess my cows had five calves, but they were all males. Okay. And before they turned into a bull, there was this process called castration, and they turned into steers. I just want to point that out. Okay. Now, I sold out. Now, if I had continued to build the herd, yeah. which most, you want to build your herd. Got it. When yeah, you're, yeah. you know, John Dutton would be all over. Yeah, you got to yeah, build yeah. the herd. Yeah. Reinvesting when, your, That's right. You're you know. building your IRA through building your herd. Reinvesting your dividends. Yes. Love it. <laughs> if I was to build the herd, 
I was going to turn my LLC into a C-Corp. I was going to block it. I was going to block UBIT by saying, I'm willing to pay 21% in tax and just turn that LLC into a blocker. Luckily, I sold out, which most farmers hate to do. They fall in love with their cows. That's why farmers never make money. Um, They fall in love with the land or their cows, ranchers, cows, farmers, crops, sorry. But anyway, I sold out. I'm redeploying my money now. I'm excited about that. Yeah, that's a private conversation for me and someone I want to maybe share that with, but I'm not, I'm not okay. telling you what I'm doing. Okay. Yet. All right. I'm redeploying. Okay. Stay tuned folks. Yeah, stay know, tuned. Season two of the show. We'll get to that. Okay. All right. Um, this is from one of the YouTube questions on my YouTube from YH. Um, it says, hi Matt, how about part-time employees? I have two employees who both work less than 500 hours a year. Can I set up a solo 401k? So we're starting a lot of solo 401k questions now. This is like the time of year to set up your solo 401k for 2022. You got to have it set up by year end, by the way, to get, make 2022 contributions. But YH is asking about qualifications. See, to have a solo 401k, which is an awesome self-directed account, you can put over 60 grand a year into it. You can do all this cool stuff that we talk about, buying real estate, crypto, small businesses, LLCs. You can do all that great stuff with a solo 401k. Um, but it only works if you're self-employed with no employees. Now, we've hit some other questions earlier today about, well, if the employee hasn't worked for you for a year, you don't have to count them. Now, a few years ago, there's a new law passed called Secure, um, the SECURE Act that changed the game on it and said, and part-time employees that have worked for you for three years. So part-timers are going to fall into this mix, YH. So if those part-timers, any of them have worked for you for three years or more, you have to count that employee in in regards to determining solo K qualification. Mm-hmm. So get rid of them at two years, you know, or whatever. Yeah. Don't let them be there for three and you'd be fine. Full-timers, you got a year. And by the way, full-time is like 19 hours a week under this rule. So that's how it works right now. Okay. Um, contractors, 1099 people don't count against you. You can still do a solo K. Can I add one thing? Yes. Uh, is the squeeze worth the punch? I'm sorry, the juice. Is it? <laughs> Okay. I don't, I don't think so. Okay. <laughs> all right. All right. Just want to make sure. All right. Okay. I'm going to, this final question for me, mm-hmm. I think we're coming up on our, our time here. Okay. Um, I'm going to give this as shout out to Lee Richter in Texas. Lovely. Been a regular contributor. He's not even a follower. He's a contributor. He's a contributor. <laughs> we're going to give him contributor status at this point. Yeah. We love you Lee. I took him to dinner at one of my events last year in Dallas and just a such a pleasant individual and, and so smart when it comes to investing. Um, Lee's down in Texas. Now, by the way, Lee, next week, and all of you that are within a five, six-hour drive of Austin, Texas, um, maybe even a short flight if you're interested, next week, Lee, is our two-day real estate tax summit. Mm-hmm. Now, this is the first ever we've seen two-day event just dedicated to tax strategies in real estate. we got a couple keynote speakers that we're excited about. It's going to be all about tax strategies and real estate. And Lee, this is right up your alley. Please spread the word. Come. We've got um, uh, a lot of activities that are going to be really cool. So a welcome reception. I think every, we got to cover a minimum at the hotel where I think every bar is going to be open bar. At our, <laughs> it's going to be nuts. Everybody's going to be lit up doing tax be, strategies. Yeah. But uh, we have a band even on Friday night, the Mark Odom band, uh, so the after-tax party is going to be awesome. Food and drinks after the tax event. How many of you go to a tax seminar and there's a band at the end? Seriously? Okay, yeah. so it's next Friday and Saturday. Sorry, Thursday and Friday, the 29th and 30th of September. 
and it'll be recorded. Any of you catching this podcast after the event, it is recorded in all the sessions. It'll be very affordable. Get to realestatetaxsummit.com. And we're covering 1031s, charitable trusts, opportunity zones, S-corps, LLCs, uh, passive losses, capital gains, anything to deal with real estate and taxes. Lee, you need to be there. Get your butt over there. So I don't know how far from Midland, Midland Texas it is to Austin, Ooh. but it, it can't be that bad. Yeah. I don't okay. Know. All right. His question. Oh, <laughs> yeah. <Sorry>. Question. <laughs> okay. It's a long wind up there. <laughs> I had to get my plug in for okay. the event. Okay, that's, that's, true. Good. that's good. I, I got the plug in. All right. Okay. When the <laughs> he says, um, and this goes to the question earlier that I kind of like, where um, Graham was talking about down in Florida with his, he and his spouse in a solo four hundred one k. And this goes to the four hundred one k question Matt just had too. He says, when the company puts in the match in the traditional. Uh, 401k. Okay. So let's see if you have a solo 401k people, you decide to put in 15 grand, 19, five, whatever you, you 20 something, whatever, depending on your age. So let's say you put in 15 grand in the 401k, the company does a match. The match is never a Roth. The match is traditional and the company gets a write off for it. And you get a contribution into your 401k tax free. It just goes into your 401k. Super mm -hmm. cool. That is the match. And in a solo 401k, you can discriminate all you want with up to a 25% amount of your comp or a hundred percent of the, of what you put in, depending on some limitation. It's incredible. So, so Lee says, I'm going to put in the match, but I want to convert it to Roth. I want to convert it to Roth right away. This is part of the mega Roth strategy. We've got shows on that. And he goes, I'm going to convert it to Roth. His question is, on the amount I convert to Roth, is it just income tax? Or do I have to pay FICA now on the match the company put in? Well, you'll be happy to know, Lee, and all of you out there, there is no FICA ever on that match. That's the company saying, hey, employee, we're going to throw you a bone here. So here's your match. It goes into your, your 401k as a traditional. If you want to convert it, convert it to Roth, you're going to pay income tax but it's not an, it's not in box one of the W two, so there's no W two FICA, no FICA withheld on the match, and um, or when you convert, just the income tax. Yeah, um, and he says also, do you have to fund the personal, or can the company just do the match? In order to get the match, mm -hmm. you have to put something in because the company is matching something. Yeah. <laughs> so you can't just say, oh, company is going to do a match for the hell of it. Well, the word match connotates. They're matching something and there's an equation involved there. So um, it's possible you could just do it because in our solo K, we don't require it to be a match. Your typical 401k, mm, okay. you do have to have a match. We just say, do employee, do employer contributions, whatever the heck you want. Because the solo has some flexibility. Yeah, because the solo you can. Yeah, you can fair do enough, but fair enough. The, the regular 401k, even with day jobs or your own small business, like it is more match and Lee keeps calling it the match, but we know what you're talking about. This is the company contribution, but the company contribution should come from the company's funds. Just from yeah. a bookkeeping standpoint, you're going to expense it from the company. Yeah. And now here, I'm going to ask you, cause you threw in a loop there. Mm. What Lee's trying to do is get around FICA. Yeah. And so if the company is going to put in money, but you're not taking a W2, Where's Waldo? You know, is there some FICA in there somewhere? I think there's going to be some FICA somewhere because for the company to put in money without a W-2 being issued. Why? It's an employer contribution. With no W-2? Can you do that? It's not on the W-2. It's on the, I mean, if yeah, he's got I an S-corp, it's on the 1120 But, if he's, S, but I'm like saying if he doesn't right? have a W-2, he's not even an employee. 
See, he's trying oh. to get away from paying any FICA. I know where Lee's coming from. So Lee's like, oh, I'll just do a company contribution. No W-2 and no FICA because he's trying to get around FICA. I think there'd be FICA somewhere because in order for a company to put in money for an employee, they have to be an employee. To be an employee, you have to have a W-2. Right. And so there's going to be FICA on that portion of the W-2 you take. Not right. the company on, portion. Right, on the employee yeah. contribution for yeah. sure. Yeah. But let's – so I, I think the, in the S-Corps, it's going to be pretty clear because – the employee contribution will be on your W-2. And or gonna, no employee contribution at all is what you said. Right. And you just yeah. do a company match. You, well, or just company, call it an employer contribution. An employer contribution. Yes. And and I like what I'm trying to get at is, Lee, you're not going to get out of FICA in the whole equation. You're still going to pay FICA on your W-2 wages and then let the employer do a contribution. Yeah. That's cool. That's no FICA on the employer the contribution. The contribution is based off your W-2. You can't just ha- not have wages or self-employment See, income. I'm getting. Okay. And so like, remember it's 25% of whatever your W-2 is. Oh, okay. so you couldn't like have a zero mm-hmm. W-2 and throw in, you know, the max employer contribution. It's you can't still a factor of yes. how much is your W-2. Okay. That's where I was going with this. Yeah, so yeah. you clarify, I learned Got something it. there. Got That's cool. It. I think I did too. So end. I'm going to yeah. repeat this for everybody. I'm going to repeat. Yeah. I think we both learned something <laughs> yeah. here. I'm going to repeat this for everybody. If you have an S corp with a solo 401k, and you say, I just want to do an employer contribution based on my wages mm-hmm. and not put anything out of my paycheck. So let's say you take a paycheck of 20 grand mm-hmm. and you want to do a company contribution into the 401k. You can do that. You're still going to pay FICA on your 20 because mm-hmm. you took a W-2. Yeah. And the employer can do a contribution without you deferring anything. Yeah. But then Matt says, remember, the equation is 25% of your wages is what the employer contribution amount is. So that'd be 25% of the 20 grand. The maximum employer contribution in that example would be five grand. Yep. And FICA on the 20. Yeah. And you could still put in an employee contribution off the 20 anyways. If you wanted to. And you would, yeah. and you pay FICA either way, whether you do or don't. Yeah. So on, on just that employee piece. Yeah. Okay. Ooh, I love that. Lee, yeah. see, Lee. Yeah. Lee, you rock. That's you know. Smart question. Hence why you need to be at the real estate tech summit. And we have a Lone Star VIP event where we're going horseback riding on Thursday night for those that want to pay uh, a little extra to have some one-on-one time with Matt and I on a horse, a campfire under the stars. Then you come back for the next day. What an event. You know, we mm-hmm. know, we know how to do it right. Mm-hmm. So people, I think Giddy there's up. only four or five seats. There are people, we're only doing 15 people on a trail ride and camp out Thursday night during the event. You're not going to camp out. I mean, you'll still go back to your hotel, but right, yeah. there's <laughs> okay. a campfire involved. Okay. Okay. All right. Let's clarify cool. That. Is Curly going to be there? And We're going to talk about the one thing. Yeah. We're going to talk about the one thing. thing yeah. yeah. We're going to do it. So what is the one thing? It's your IRA. Well, yeah. Because <laughs> you got to come to find out. You yeah. Know? Okay. Um, all right. Oh, my gosh. You get final I, choice. You okay. get final choice. I did have a last question here. Okay. This was from Sane Monk. Mm. I don't That's got to be your your, you know. I love the show Monk. I love the self-discipline of monks. Okay. I'm so all this in. This is the same monk. says, it's about starting a business with a self-directed retirement account. Let's say I do a C-Corp blocker that's established as a multi-member IRA LLC. So you have a multi-member IRA LLC, multiple IRAs, invest in LLC. You do a C-Corp tax election. Ask the first 20% corporate tax will be applied on any company profits. That's true. Now, we've got prior episodes in this. If you don't know what Sane Monk's talking about, go watch the Blocker Corporation and, and um, minimizing and reducing UBIT. We've got a lot of stuff on that. i got a whole chapter in my book on UBIT, and that strategy mm. is covered in there. He says, okay, so I'm going to pay a 21% corporate tax on company profits, but what about the second tax 
on dividend withdrawal mm. when it goes to the members of the multi-member IRLC that are Roth. Well, here's the nice thing, St. Monk. The dividend distributions from a C-corp to a retirement account, there's no tax. So you don't pay tax when the money goes from the C-corp down to the Roth. That's what's happening That's when your IRA- That's why we do a blocker. There yes. is no double tax. Yes. You just pay it at the company level. This is like your IRA- getting a dividend from Apple or General Motors or whatever stock, J Johnson & Johnson, mm -hmm. whatever stock your IRA owns and they pay dividends, you don't pay tax on it because IRAs are exempt from dividends from C-Corps. That's what all those companies are and that's what you'd be doing with the blocker structure. I, I, okay, and I'm gonna give everybody an example and it does not involve juice or squeezing. So we're gonna say this was the ranch. Well, that's a letdown. I know. <laughs> well, we'll get back to cattle. Okay, okay I'll, throw in, I'll throw in a steer just for good measure. Okay, okay so let's say all of you out there, I go to Matt and I go, hey, Matt, my rancher called me up in Idaho. It springtime's upon us. We're going to go out and buy 30 head. Let's let's do it. Let's okay. build it. You know, I got Kohler Dutton Livestock LLC already set up. Let's do it. Matt's like, I'm in. So Matt personally comes into an LLC and I take my Roth and make it the other partner of the LLC. We go in 50-50 and we buy a herd of 30 or 40 cattle and we're going to live the year out, put them out to pasture and see what happens at the end of 12 months. Well, my Roth does not want to pay UBIT on the ranching operation. So I say to Matt, let's turn that LLC into a C-Corp. I want it to be a blocker. Well, there's pros and cons. Yeah. Now that we blocked it, we pay 21% on the ranching operation because it's a C-Corp now. It's a blocker. And any distributions or dividends to my Roth, no tax. Just like what Sane Monk, you're saying here, there is no tax to my Roth because it's a Roth. And it just, and, and so we're paying 21% at the corporate level. Oh, but Matt personally owns half of that ranching this company. This is not so hot for me. <laughs> well, you, you were a sucker. You bought in. And so, <laughs> so now. I feel like I just got squeezed. <laughs> 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 that could have been the case. So, you know, ranch by the IRS from a double tax because yeah. I'm going to pay the dividend tax yeah. personally. Yeah. And I had to pay the corporate tax. I will quote John Dutton here from season two, episode four. Whatever I do is good for the family. And if it helps you out, it's a coincidence. <laughs> <laughs> Remember that scene? No, that's oh, it's a good one. Yep. So, you know, maybe it helps you or not, Matt. I don't know. It could be a coincidence or not. But so Matt's going to pay double tax because he's getting a dividend from a C-Corp. So a blocker for him makes no sense at all, but it makes a ton of sense for my Roth. So sometimes we'll create a second layer of structure yeah. there, yada, yada. We but do the, a partnership LLC at the top instead, and Mark has his own IRA LLC that's a tax as a C-Corp. He owns 100% that he funnels it through. I'm personally just right into this yeah. partnership LLC. That's yeah. how we do that. We have a way around it, but yeah. it, it was a good yeah. example, right? I like that. That's a great one. Yeah. Explain the double tax. We did finish strong. We did finish strong. Matt, you take us out. You're amazing. All and right. Are you going to be at the Real Estate Tax Summit next? week heck yes i'm gonna be at the real estate tax summit where else would you be yeah i mean come on are you gonna it's buy the recordings because they're so kick-ass i'm gonna buy the recordings too because i want to relive the experience over and over and over again yep. so yep. get there seriously it's gonna be awesome we we have some new content we're gonna have there some other guest speakers teaching some stuff that i want to learn too that's what i love going to this stuff i'm always coming home with some awesome takeaways too yep. so um be there realestatetaxsummit.com you can find it on our sites too spoiler but, alert yep Friday night, you want to tell them the spoiler alert? Maybe you might see Mark Kohler on the drums and Matt Sorensen on the guitar. Just could happen at the Crypto Tax Summit. Could be a little. 
What do they call it? A band gets back together? A reunion oh, tour? What do they call yeah, it? A reunion tour? Yeah. yeah it can be so. a reunion yeah. tour? The band's getting back together. That just sounds a little better. Yeah, that does. <laughs> 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 Thanks, everyone. Yeah, thanks, everyone. See you next week. <laughs>